0: the fans here they're not the one calling the radio show Not one fan that was here tonight calls
1: any radio show
0: the people that call the radio shows do not come to games they don't have season tickets the only way they come is if somebody gives them a ticket this reflects what our fan base
1: thinks of our program
0: we have not a great season about what people thought probably that predict things like this i don't and what we're here today 24500 people and you think that people are upset with our program yeah they're upset the ones sitting home calling that's who's upset do i want to do better yeah yeah we want to do better but the people
1: that show up tell you whether you have support or not not who calls on the radio it's cofield and company live at the thomas and mac
2: well that's a dagger to the heart of real syracuse fans that all Beheim is judging off of is the attendance all right well then you know coach until you're 100 and go 16 and 16 every year awesome We'll and, also, and never make the tournament again.
0: And also base it on the day that they're retiring the jerseys of Hakeem Warwick and Jerry McNamara. Oh, I didn't f- even know that. <laughs> yeah. So you had a big turnout yeah. because
2: you have, yeah. especially McNamara. Yeah. Warwick's a great player, but they, you've, obviously, for yeah. you know Little White, um, people are going to go crazy over that. So look look at all the fans that showed up to support us today. Yeah, he's... Hey, whatever, man. They, they, they created this monster. He doesn't sound good, though. No, he's... He's completely exhausted. He's seventy-seven or seventy-eight now. Am I making him older?
0: I would guess eighty-four. I think. I think you're. I mean, he's always been a
2: painful listen, but he's just, he's just unbearable now. And uh, you know, it happens in rare cases where guys are just like, "Hey, I'm not going
0: to stop coaching until you kick me out the door." (laughs) He's, yeah, he's he's never leaving. I mean, we everybody assumed his career was over like seven, eight years ago. There was a lot of scandal, a lot of trouble, and. Oh, he's done and then it just keeps plugging away.
2: November of 44. When he was born? November of 44 is when he's born. So he's 78 years old.
0: Think he's going to make it to 80?
2: I have no idea. I'm not rooting for the guy to pass away. I, would, I mean, coach. I, I would I would root Yeah, well, I mean <laughs> I mean I would root for him and his family for him to retire and enjoy the rest of life. But maybe he thinks it's fun. You would wish that
0: on his family? What do they do? It's a good line. It's a very good line every once in a while clever yeah it was he's you know for him to come out and just because i think the question was about like you know obviously there's people that are upset with the direction of your program you see all these people here to celebrate jerry mcnamara's career it's
2: a weird situation curtis terry's with us former rebel uh you know he knows of the pressure around the unlv program what's up curtis
3: Guys, I feel like they're gonna have to kill me too to get me out of UNLV. So I'm gonna be there forever. They're gonna have to, gonna have to, there to throw me under the ground and to get me to leave that place.
2: You contribute a lot, but the program doesn't live and die by what Kurt does. I mean, Jim Jim Beheim is kind True. of in a serious position of power here, and they've
0: just—they're
2: sure. not a laughing stock. But I just—I just don't know when they're gonna bounce back. I and mean, then the funny thing is, you don't really have to do that much. I mean, I mean ACC is tough, but. Get 19 wins, go 500 in conference, you got a shot, and he can't do it. It's a weird situation where uh, Beheim just won't walk. So let's talk about the victory over Reno for UNLV and just how big that was from a mental standpoint for Kevin Kruger, uh, especially because um, this is now a uh, you know a pretty dominant four and 0 run over the first couple of years against a Nevada program that has really high hopes and had super high hopes this year.
3: Yeah, I mean obviously I I think I don't know if if coach Kevin Tate puts too much emphasis on it. Um obviously I mean Jordan McCabe made the comment of, of he's never lost to them in the, during his UNLV career. Uh, I think it's it's huge for the community, it's huge for the school and for the rivalry of UNLV UNR. Um I think it's huge cuz there was a stretch where we lost to them for I mean multiple games in a row. And so if anything, I think it it allows the the fans and the and UNLV just community to to have something to kind of stake their flag in, in terms of having that those wins against UNR. Um, and also, when, when you bring the cannon home and, and paint that thing red, that also helps as well. Um, but I think, again, it, it's something to kind of build on, especially with the success that they're having right now. Um, so, I mean, or during the, the beginning stages of, of Coach Alper's tenure up here, so I think it's, it's, a, it's a good step in the right direction.
2: Tell people in Vegas what you thought about the atmosphere at Lawler.
3: As much as I hate to say it, it was a really good crowd up there on, on Saturday afternoon. And, and you saw it, Steve. I mean, there's the fans, I mean the student section, they were in there and again it's it's snowing. It's we're in Reno and it was like twelve thirty in the afternoon and it was I mean the student section was packed. Um so I don't I don't know if that's because they're so excited to support the Wolfpack, which I doubt, or that there's just not much to do in Reno on a Saturday afternoon when it's snowing. Um but it was packed. The community comes out and supports that team, obviously, we've seen that before. Um, when Musselman was coaching it, now with Alford, he's got that thing rolling, and so it's it's something that that's good to see. But it's also good we go in there and, and shut that crowd up and, and get a win. And so, hopefully we can get the, the fans, the Thomas and Mack, to support those guys. Um, if not this week during the Mountain West Conference tournament, next year when the guys take the floor again at Thomas and Mack.
0: Just going back, you mentioned the cannon. Doesn't it look dumb when it's blue? It just doesn't look like a real thing.
3: Yeah, no. I mean, it's it's, it's, a, it's I don't know. It's blue. I mean, again, obviously the in terms of like the Civil War and the Confederates and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you talk about red versus blue and north versus south. Uh, but when it comes to UNLV and UNR, we're, we're dealing with with the red down south, and so I think the candidate should always be red. And so hopefully Coach Odom, now in charge of the UNLV football program, he can keep that thing red and hopefully Kevin can keep, uh, keep things rolling and stay undefeated against the Wolfpack.
0: You talked about what the win did for UNLV in terms of, you know, continuing to establish the, the dominance, the ownership of the Reno program as of late for sure. Uh, but a lot of things a lot of times we talk about building momentum, building confidence going into the postseason. Is that is that a real thing? Is that something that can carry over for a team? Maybe you struggle a little bit down the stretch, but you win that last game or two. Does that carry into the postseason? A hundred percent.
3: I think it's huge. And uh, and Kevin shared this with me afterwards. He was like that was big. Just because he needed his guys to feel good going into this week in the conference tournament. They're gonna see Air Force again against the team that they struggled with um, I mean just, just last week in at the Thomas and Mac and now seeing them a second time. Um, you're going to feel more comfortable because you had a bunch of guys that hadn't played against that Princeton style offense before. But now that you got to win against a rival, um, against a team that was jockeying for position at the top of the Mountain West Conference, it's going to be big for them because now they're going to feel comfortable. They're going to feel confident. They did it without Keyshawn Gilbert, who only played three and a half minutes that game. Uh, EJ Harkless, the, the offensive juggernaut for, for the Rebels, he fouled out. Uh, you had Jackie Johnson step up and make shots. So again, from a confident standpoint, it was huge for them because guys are going to feel that they can, they can have success. They can achieve something. And now more than ever, this when you, you have to put your best foot forward and make sure that you're going to be successful because it's now it's, it's win or go home. It's, it's survive in advance. And so game by game, I think it's going to be big for them to know that we've got to win against one of the best teams in the conference. So let's kind of use that, harness that, and try to put that forward this week.
0: The voice of Curtis Terry can hear him on the broadcast of the run and Rebel Games. Former Rebel Curtis Terry with us. You, uh, you, talk, you mentioned Keyshawn Gilbert there. I was listening, so I know you didn't really see what happened during the game. Uh, have you have you seen it? What what were your thoughts on what happened on that play?
3: I have no idea. Still to today, I haven't seen it. Me and John, me and John Stanley were sitting there calling the game, um, and it looked like there was just kind of there was a, a break in action between uh, the ball getting inbounded, and all of a sudden the rep just blows his whistle and makes c- some kind of gesture. We're like, what happened? And, and John looked at me, and I looked. I looked. I don't know. I looked at Andy Grossman. I looked at Danny, the engineer, and he had no clue. And then he comes over and says. I didn't see the action but I saw the reaction. So I guess the reaction was Keyshawn headbutting um the Reno player. And so I I, I went I stuck into the bathroom at halftime. I thought Keyshawn was in there watching the game on her laptop. Um I did the same thing to him then, but then after the game on the bus I went to the back and I was just congratulating the guys and I asked him what he did and I was like, Did you headbutt him? He was like, Yeah, but I didn't like headbutt him, like WWE like headbutt him. Um, and so he kinda showed me what he did and so I think it was just kind of a like a get off me kind of smooshing the guy away with his head. Um, So he knows it wasn't, I mean, the best play, especially in that type of atmosphere. Uh, But I think it's huge that his teammates rallied around him and and picked him up and lifted him up. So hopefully he can bring that back to them and kind of give back to them what they gave to him in terms of being able to get that win against, against that team in that situation.
2: You nailed it at the end there. That's exactly what he did. He basically tried to push the guy away, you know, with the dome of his head. It wasn't a violent action, but you can't do it. Not a smart move. A um, couple of crazy things, though. We mentioned Jackie Johnson. I don't know where that comes from. I know he's been playing better the last couple of games, but that was, that was crazy. They put Trey Coleman on him at six seven, and Jackie's like, okay, I'll just go downhill. I'm going to get by you. And then that, the bomb three. And then the other crazy thing is McCabe doesn't play at the end of the game, and they get 11 minutes out of a walk-on and can burst.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because last year, I mean, obviously I mean Bryce Hamilton had that big shot at UNR last year in the game. Um, it was kind of a highlight moment, makes the defender fall. It's a step back three. Uh, and Jackie Johnson, he's just a kid that he's just he's, he's ultra confident in his skill set. And Kevin, I think, summed it up most. He hasn't been his number hasn't been called a lot during the season. In that preseason trip to Canada to Vancouver, I mean, he he put up he was a leading scorer over that three game stretch. Um, and you think he's going to be able to have some success because of what he did at Duquesne his freshman year as a true freshman, and things just didn't work out his way. I think a lot of that had to do with the, with EP going down, and so his his role on the team shifted a little bit. Um, because they didn't need him to insert him to be that uh, offensive energy because they had to try to rely on size and defense and and kind of situations. But the thing I I, got to give Jackie Johnson, is the kid stays ready. And there's a kind of that that cliche saying of if you stay ready, you don't got to get ready. So he stepped up and he did that, and he's always prepared and ready. And I think one thing that he told me is he always thinks he's going to have a big game. And so he said that back in Canada. He's always ready to come out and play. I think he showed that, and for him to to, to have the cojones to step up and, and shoot that deep three at the top of the key um, in that situation, it was huge for him to be able to knock that one down. Um, and his teammates needed it, but I think, again, they're starting to see that they can rely on a lot of different guys depending on the situation or the scenario or injuries or headbutts, whatever it may be, um, so that way I think they, they're going to be able to know that they have something that they can really rally around um, if they can get this win on Wednesday and see what happens the next three days over the course of the West Conference tournament.
2: What do they have to do this time to avoid what happened last time, which was just a grinder game where they you know, they pull off a, a scramble at the end? How do they make it easier on themselves this time against
3: Air Force? Well, Steve, I think the biggest thing that they're going to do is, is look at the film in terms of what they saw that, that first time through. Uh, and Kevin said this after the game. When we, were, we were, You know, we were waiting for the plane to get the ice. We sat in that terminal for, it seemed like two hours on Saturday afternoon. But he says it's so much easier when you see them again. And I think that's, that's the case for any team that plays Air Force. The first time you see them, if you have a group that hasn't played against them in, in terms of that hard cutting, uh, that fast action, just how they play their style of ball, it's tough. But that second time, you know what to expect. You know the speed at which they cut, how hard that they play, um, and what they're trying to look for and how they're trying to, to rip away from the ball screens. They want to drive baseline and hit that weak side corner. Uh, they, want to, they want to reverse dribble backspin and try to hit the back cuts. They want to play out of the post with their guards. And so I think for him, his guys are going to be more confident in what they're going to see and what to expect. And I think they're going to be able to find ways to really kind of create some separation. Because so They had chances to do that when they played them at the Thomas and Mack, But I think now they're going to be able to really capitalize on it them, and put themselves in a position uh, to try to put them away early because in a case where you have to win four games in four days, they're going to want to put this Air Force team away early on Wednesday afternoon so that way they can have their best foot forward to become that, that Thursday opponent.
2: Do not over-dribble against Air Force. I thought that killed them offensively in the first game.
3: Yeah, and I—I I mean, I—I I think it's for UNLV. It's do not over dribble, period. Yeah, huh. Regards to playing Air Force. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, if you're if you're playing UNR, because th- this team—they've got guys that can create off the bounce. But that just because you have the ability to create off the bounce, I don't think you want to rely on that. And this team is—they're so much more efficient when they share the ball, when they play together, when they pass, and they play in space, and when they create shots for each other. But it's hard to do when you kill your rhythm and kill your momentum, uh, and just when really kill your spacing because you are easy to guard, and if not more than anybody, when you play air force because of the massive zone that they play, if you're going to sit there and you're going to try to, to dribble and break them down iso ball, you are playing right into their hands and what they want you to do. And then all that forces you to do is to shoot a very high, efficient percentage from three. And we've seen at times that this team has struggled with that. And so I think if they can just move the ball, be sharp, and not over dribble, they should be in a good spot come Wednesday afternoon when that game is over.
2: Curtis Terry's with us. Did you see the media awards for the Mountain West Conference?
3: Uh, I did. I don't know who voted. Did you guys vote on those or who voted on those?
2: I I think Mike Gormala probably has the vote for the media. Andy voted too. Okay, and Yamashita from the RJ. Um, EJ Harkless made second team, which I don't have a massive problem with. Do you?
3: I mean, uh, EJ Harkless is the second league scorer in the Mountain West Conference. Um, I think aside from you and are kind of their lull during January, I think he's probably the the player of the year in the conference. Uh, Omari Moore, I'll give him credit. You got him you got to give Coach Tim Biles credit for what he's done at, at San Jose State. I mean, the fact that they finished with the Mountain West Conference and the turnaround that he's done, he's obviously a great coach. We've seen that. Um, he's proved that at, at Colorado State. Even when he went to Nebraska, he had success. Uh, so I have no problem with that. I, I think you get slighted when, you when your team doesn't finish as well um, in terms of the standings. Uh, but E.J. Harkless is a first-team all-conference player in the Mountain West this year for sure, 100% hands down, no question about it in my book. Uh, but, again, hopefully you maybe just use that as motivation to try to get on that first-team all-conference tournament, and the only way you do that is get into that semifinal. Um, and for sure get into the final, but if not get into the semifinal, you've got a chance to kind of make a point and, yeah, and weird... make some people eat their words.
2: Sorry, Curtis. Curtis Terry with us. The weird one was Harkless actually got more votes overall for, you know, first, second, or third team than Morris Udeze, but Udeze won the sixth player, sixth man of the year, Check that. The newcomer. I keep thinking six. The newcomer of the year. Udeze won it over Harkless.
3: Yeah, and I don't – I mean, you say he got more votes and first-place votes are worse than this and that. And I don't know, Steve. I was a journalism major, so I can't – I can barely count enough to to balance my checkbook. So the fact that (laughs) (laughs) – I can do just enough online banking, right? Um, But but the fact that – I mean, that happens. I mean, obviously, Udeze, what he did at at New Mexico is, is huge. Uh, they've had to turn around down there under Patino and Mashburn and House. So again, I think the the, the way you can silver rely is look at it. The Mount West Conference is probably the strongest this year in terms of top to bottom competitive teams as you've seen over the last five or six years. And so if you get if you get slighted in that sense, at least it's because there's really good teams, or really good players, as opposed to year past maybe there's only been one or two really good teams and five or six really good players. So I, I can look at it from that standpoint. Uh, but you got to give your you got to tip your hat to to E.J. Harkness and what he did in his one-year coming over to UNLV and what he brought from Oklahoma.
0: If
2: it's not the Rebels, who's the best bet to win the Madden West Conference tournament?
1: San Diego
3: State. As much as I hate to say it, yeah. uh, it's got to be San Diego State or Boise. Um, uh, and, again, it's 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 kind of like how I felt with Kobe Bryant. Like, you hate Kobe Bryant so much, but you it's because you respect him and what he does on the court. Um, it's the same way San Diego State. What's Coach Steve Fisher built down there, and what Coach Bryant Dutcher has continued to do, um, obviously with, with I mean Kawhi Leonard and, and through all those guys um, throughout the course of those last I mean, 20 years or so, what they're now doing with Matt Bradley, I mean, they've got a really good program. You have to give them respect. And year in and year out, they're either going to win the conference or win the conference tournament, and they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. And I think they're a really good team, and I think they're very hard to match up with. And so I think um, hopefully the Rebels have a chance to, to get to Saturday and maybe knock those guys off. But if uh, if you had to put your money where your mouth is, I think it's it's a good bet that either Boise State, hopefully not, but either San Diego State going to be in that championship and, and get that automatic bid from that the State Tournament.
2: You know what's crazy? If it were Boise and San Diego State meeting in the finals, it could actually come down to who has a better game offensively between Matt Bradley and Max Rice. I mean, <laughs> you got yeah, yeah. You got to
3: give Rice credit. He's actually he's been one of the better
2: players in the league, especially down the stretch.
3: He has. Now, obviously, I think we we watched some of that game uh, Boise State, Utah State um, on Saturday afternoon. We were sitting in the terminal in between some some games of pool. I went to the back and watched some of that. He struggled a little bit there. Um, He couldn't play out of the post as much against Ashworth and some of those other Utah State guys. Uh, But for some reason, and it's. It's kind of like we talk about like the old man game, right? We've talked about it over the last couple of years where there's a couple of guys from Boise State have that old man game. It's just slow, methodical, not high risers. Uh, but Max Rice kind of has some of that game. It's kind of some of that YMCA Sunday morning hoops where he's going to figure out a way to get it, up, to get it done, to get your shot off. Uh, but, but Max Rice has, has been a good, really good player for them over the course of his career, and he's really shown it and established himself this year, especially for that team. And so, uh, man, you got to give him credit. Even though, again, I don't like to give credit to the opponents. Uh, but i got to give credit to, to Max Rice and what he's been able to do during his college career, especially this year for that team.
2: Curtis, you're awesome. I know you're on the road right now, so we appreciate you carving out some uh, time for us, and we'll see you here on Wednesday.
3: Yes, sir, guys. You guys have a good one. We'll see you tomorrow, or see yes. you in two days.
2: There he is, the former Rebel, Curtis Terry, color analyst on the UNLV radio broadcast. Yeah, I always thought Max Rice was going to kind of be a emotional horse's ass out there, kind of a seventh man the rest of his career, but uh, he emerged this year. He's a... Third-teamer, according to the media, and he's had some really big games. I don't know. I have faith, I have faith in, in Boise in a match. If, they, if both teams make it to the final, I have a little more faith in Boise showing up offensively. I know both teams are going to play D and rebound and beat the hell out of each other. But I have yeah. a little more faith in, in Leon Rice as an offensive coach than I do Dutcher.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, the game's not just offensive.
2: No. Well, I, I think they're even defensively, and I think they're both just – as rugged, even though Boise's not as big as San Diego State, but they, they play you know, mostly six, seven dudes across the front line so they can hold their own. They're not deep, and that's the one difference. If they get in foul trouble, then San Diego State's got a big advantage. It's funny. If you look up and down, this is probably not a conversation for you. It's more for JBT. If you look up and down the Mountain West Conference uh, media awards, right, one of the names that keeps popping up, and it's a guy who plays like 15 minutes a game, was a Gwek, a Rope who is their I – mean, he, he got a vote. I think he got at least one vote for sixth man of the year. Essentially, he's like their eighth man, and he doesn't really shoot. But as John always says it, like at the end of a game, when someone makes a big block or grabs a rebound, it's a rope. And it's so weird out of a guy who really – it really is like a 15-minute-per-game guy, but that's kind of the San Diego State program, right? Him and Seiko, they have all these other dudes who are more accomplished. Him and Seiko – when you need a big three, it's like, or, or a game out of nowhere where Seiko's like 5-7, he gets it done, or Rope, who looks like he's 30, been there forever. That was a big deal for both of those guys to come back. That's yeah. a different team if you don't have veterans like that who were in essentially like their sixth and seventh year.
0: Well, they've always had guys like that, guys that just find a way to make a play when they need to have it, and the fact that you didn't have to find two more guys is the big thing. Right? I mean, they've got them, but – if they leave, then it's like, all right, where are we going to find that one guy to make one play late in the game? They've got to find it somewhere. Right. They didn't who's, need to. Who's
2: going to get it and show up every day and lead by example for the other players and the other transfers to come in, whoever it is, Tremel or, you know, Micah Parrish, hey, these guys right here, they know what they're doing. They're going to lead by example. You do what they do.
1: Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All-Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All-Access on Twitter.
0: I mean, I think if we don't win the tournament, uh, we aren't getting a bid. Unfortunately, I don't agree with it. I think we're very deserving. Um, But, you know, just historically, that's that's what the committee and, and the selection people have done. And so, you know, we don't want to leave that in their hands at all. If, you know, it were to come to that and we'd get an at-large, I would be shocked.
1: It's Cofield and Company, live at the Thomas and Mac.
2: That lady's in her early 30s. Lindy LaRock, doing a hell of a job, wise beyond her years. Because I think a lot of coaches would be like, we're not talking about it. We're not talking about losing. But I think she's embracing the fact that Net is 51. The Lady Rebels, even though they're a top 25 team, which that would be crazy. It just shows the polls mean nothing. But she said it straight out. Lady Rebels have to win this tournament or else it's going to be real dicey. Scary stuff, but good for motivation.
0: And it would be, if they weren't to make it, it would be a waste of a season that they were the dominant team, that they won at least 20 straight games and only lost twice during the entire season and didn't make it. Which would be, I think, uh, not only ridiculous, but also a huge letdown for them. Because they, they believe they should be in the tournament and they have probably earned it.
2: Early 30s and way more mature and together than Mark Adams at Texas Tech. I was just reading more about his suspension. I thought you were going to
0: say than us, which was true. Oh,
2: than us too. Um, than Mark Adams at Texas Tech. Meanwhile... Uh, Chris Beard, who was the coach here for, whatever, 13 days at UNLV, and then got accused of uh, harassing and beating up, uh, was a wife or girlfriend? Fiance, I think. Fiance. Um, didn't get cleared, but they elected not to move forward with the case. Got fired weeks before that at Texas. I saw a note today that he's already talking to Ole Miss for that job, and someone commented, just a commenter, they're like, wow, I thought he could get a better job than that. like, wait, what? <laughs> He lost a, whatever it is, $7 million a year job at Texas over these allegations and is not cleared, but immediately could go to the SEC. And you know who went there.
0: He should go back to Texas Tech.
2: Yeah, I think there's too much, there's too many bad feelings about the way. the job. Way, I know. The way he left, and he left behind Mark Adams, who's turned out to be kind of a weirdo.
0: You don't think Texas Tech would be lining up to take him back?
2: I don't, I don't say never, ever with these kinds of schools.
0: They would absolutely hire him. They I hired Bobby Knight. Yeah.
2: They're pretty hardcore.
0: Yeah. Wins matter.
2: I was really mad yesterday watching my school play basketball. So mad that I just left home. And I was just telling you about buying a refrigerator. That sure. made me happy, so I was so glad to leave. It sucked.
0: Representing of. It was the refrigerator's temperature was representative of the shooting performance. Yes. Record?
2: Yeah, about the last couple of weeks. I wasn't more angry last week than watching Next Level Chef with our guy, Mark McMillan. I was kind of tweeting with GIFs my reaction to the contest because he got booted from the show. He got completely screwed. He's a barbecue guy, and they're like, we're all going to make
0: Chinese. Yeah. And I was like, I think he's going to have trouble with that. As soon as I heard the, the competition, I was like, oh, no. He, he didn't grab rice. He didn't grab any starch.
2: Now I can't remember what he made. What did, what did he make? What fish?
0: It was a uh, – uh, that's a good question. I can't remember. But it was like a decent fish, but he didn't really know how to make it Chinese. No. No. It was cooked and it was a problem.
2: And then uh, his, I think one of his buddies on the show is this guy Matt from South Jersey. And Matt had an immunity pin because his his food wasn't great. And then this other dude, Chris, who's just annoying as hell. Yeah. He's so
0: hateable. Oh, the worst.
2: Um, he got put in the cook-off with Mark. And then as soon as they put dumplings down, do you ever see the, the gif with the lady screaming in the city square because uh, – trump won the election yeah where she's like no that was me i'm like dumplings made the dumplings got booted from the show i was so mad i don't know why i get this worked up over reality shows but i'm so i was so mad and i hear have you and your mom been watching together because you you told me your mother said are you
0: still going to watch the show with mcmillan off well it's just stunning that i'm paying attention to a cooking reality show in any way i think i might i'm kind of invested and i I mean, my girlfriend said
2: the same right after it happened because I was so mad. She's like, Are we going to watch anymore? And I'm like, Yeah, we're going to watch. Because now I've developed, you know, rooting relationships and dislike for some of the different contestants on the show. I mean, there are some really crazy. The young talent
0: on that show is insane. Yeah, there's some really good ones. I mean, I, I feel like the competition's over. There's one that's so much better than everyone else. Well, I don't think that's the case. I think, I, there,
2: I think there's three or four elite.
0: I, I think there's there's one, the one that might is like potentially like the best chef of all time. Then there's one who is very, very good that's kind of the next step.
2: I'm fascinated by this one. And then
0: it just drops off completely after that. You think? Yeah. I think it's about five deep. All right. Well Nori is by far the best guy in the show. Yeah. He's crushing everyone. The seven foot tall guy? Yeah. And he's, I think
2: I think he's really good, but I think the lady Tucker has been like top three almost every time. She's really good. The lady teeny, who's like nineteen, she's good. Preston, who's like nineteen, I was gonna say Preston He's is the, good.
0: Preston is number two, and then it's everyone else. Um, and I think Nori's is is twenty-one. It, is, is it Ma-
2: Marine, who's uh, Bangladeshi? She's very good. Former
0: editor of a, yeah. a magazine.
2: Yep. I think it's five or six deep. At
0: least
2: two. You get a bad. You get a bad choice. They throw some cuisine your way, and you're like, "What?" Or you
1: that. GD platform.
0: I mean, I, I love the, by the way, I love the show. I've always known there's nothing like I can't cook or do anything. I mean, I'm useless yeah. in that area. But then watching it, I I realized like, oh my gosh, I definitely uh, they were like make Chinese food. I was like, what is that? That just means cook yeah. rice. Like yeah. I don't what what else yeah.
2: can you do? Here's here's meats. Here's spices. Here's vegetables. Chinese go. And then the dumpling thing. And Mark came up basically with like ravioli, which sounded like a good concept, but then. They gave him a good – the first go-round when uh, Ramsey and whoever else was, was eating, like they gave him a decent review, and then Ramsey came over the top, and he's like, a little bit of water got in there, yeah. and then something else was wrong with it. I'm like, yeah, he's
0: out. Come oh, on. We knew. Yeah, we definitely knew. He's such I, a good I, guy, too, because
2: ra- I go crazy. We didn't get him this last Friday. I go crazy getting after people and, you know, and talking about his food, and he's just like, ah, I'm just glad I got on the show. Meanwhile, you and I are at home, like, ripping our hair out. Like, it's, infuri- it's infuriating.
0: It's about winning. absolutely infuriating to watch it. It's about winning. But, it, again, it was, what are we doing barbecue episode? And it never came. Nope. It, it's, you know it's coming. Yeah. For sure. Well, it oh, would be real tough to do barbecue if you're in the basement.
2: Yeah, I can't even tell what the difference is between the cooking equipment. Well, they I,
0: give them, like, like old like, mixers and, like, bad pans. Yeah, these people are so good, though. I don't know. I wouldn't be able to make the first thing. I have no idea.
2: On the way back, I want to get into uh, Derek Carr going to the Saints and then repercussions around the league. If you got a pick right now, who's going to win more games next year? The Raiders, the Saints, or the Jets?
1: Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ or tweet the show at Cofield Co. Company live at the Thomas and Mac.
2: So the Saints have Derek Carr. Essentially a two year deal for somewhere between 60 and 70 million dollars. Next thought is what do the Jets do? Because the Jets seem to be hot and heavy for Derek Carr. It's funny just reading one media tweet on this one. I don't know who this is. Oh, a guy from the Athletic. Jets uh, Jets lost out on Derek Carr. They can't lose out on Aaron Rodgers, too. If they do, smash that panic button. No. No. What they can't do is panic in first getting Rodgers. Don't trade away like 100 first-round picks. Um, No. It's not a panic situation. No. They're building a team. They overachieved last year. They're building a team. Your goal is to be really good at some point. The Bills are the team right now, and the Bills should, because of the salary cap, move back to the pack slightly. Right? I don't know what's going to happen with the Patriots. Dolphins could be really good if Tua stays healthy, but they may have a decision. I'm not in a panic as a Jets fan. Yeah. Like, like I don't love the bridge choices, but I'm not going to freak out. Like if they pan- what, what a panic move is, is like Jimmy Garoppolo, three years, Sixty mil, thirty five guaranteed. Like, don't do that. Yeah, I- I'm fine. I'm fine with the Jets going with a cheap bridge. And you know, if next year doesn't work out great. Okay, then maybe you're back in position to take a quarterback in the draft next year. Or you know, I mean, I would. I'd love to see him make if it if it, is, it actually is available. If he's available, I'd love to see Lamar Jackson. But there's no reason to panic.
0: Well, that's the one. I mean. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even say the Jets missed out on anything because I, I think Derek Carr, for the money he got, like, let him go.
2: And, I, and I've said for months, going back to when Derek Carr was a Raider, I don't think he was a match for that market. Yeah, me neither. And especially at that money. so you know.
0: Well, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is either, honestly. I'm not
2: sure. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think he'd be – it'd be weird. It'd be weird. I, I mean, it would be a media frenzy every freaking week with that guy, and it'd be crazy leading up to the season
0: with him. Yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces there, and and again, I think if you're most teams in the AFC, you're building for two, three, four years from now, not next year, because uh, there is it is very top heavy. But again, who knows what where the end is in sight? Because we talk about the Bills coming back to the pack potentially because salary cap situations. We th- we talk about the Chiefs potentially, but it's Mahomes. And then, but then you've got Burrow, and you've got Herbert. Uh, you got Herbert coming up, and um, who knows what happens with uh, with Lamar and where he could potentially go? But you've got all these young guys coming up behind. These guys, too. So it, there's a long time. It's, it's just going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But you, can't, you certainly can't. You know, going all in right now with all these other things that are going on it seems like it'd probably be a bad move.
2: No, Aaron Rodgers needs to essentially be a salary dump. Yeah. I mean, Packers seem to be sending messages around Indy this week that they're hoping he doesn't come back. Now, if there's five teams that are going to make a run of them, it's not going to be a salary dump. And people are going to have to. Someone's going to have to give up something pretty significant for him. And I'll give you the other team. The Raiders do not need to panic. They don't. No. Uh, I mean, you know, I know Vic Tafer last do, week reported do, that. They're, they're, they might be out on Rodgers. I mean, still kick the tire, Still try to coax Brady into something.
0: Here, here's the difference. Right. The Raiders don't need to panic.
2: Right.
0: Do Josh and Dave need to panic? Like, that is the difference. No, they don't at all. No, they're, they're better suited to freaking go with
2: a, with a bridge and, hey, we're going to develop a rookie quarterback.
0: It, it does depend on I, – I, I agree, yes, for the long-term benefit of the franchise and for building a winner consistently, yes.
2: I mean, I hope Mark Davis realizes that, the you know, the win now sort of sets sail unless Brady changes his mind.
0: Yeah, I I, I would think so, for sure. But it is going to be – it's tough to not, quote-unquote, panic. I mean, whatever panicking means when you feel maybe you have to win games to keep your job. Like, that is a different – you know, th- that's a different scenario that you're building because what is right for building the franchise and building a consistent winner is not the same as what's right for winning this year and potentially keeping your job.
2: Put aside AR-15.
0: He doesn't like that. Anthony
2: Richardson, who just had a ridiculous combine.
0: Ridiculous.
2: Give me, give me a second or third round quarterback pick that you like.
0: Um, that I do or that the Raiders Because I know, I know the one the Raiders like. Okay. Hedden Hooker.
2: Okay. So next year, give me Phillip Rivers because if folks didn't hear. Rivers is asking to come back. He's asking some teams. I don't know if he'd come back with the Raiders because the teams he was talking to were in desperation mode at the end of the season. And maybe it was just an end of the season thing. But there are some indicators that maybe he'd come
0: back. Rivers, Stidham, and Hooker. In that scenario, why is Rivers listed? He's better than Stidham. Stidham and Hooker. No, he's yes, he absolutely. Is. Yes, he is. No, I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to accept that. No, accept that. no Stidham is better than I don't Phillip Rivers. Is. Stidham and Hooker, I think, is, is yes, that's the way to go. Give me Rivers. <laughs> no. It's my dream now. No. You want me to have to sit in the locker room with Philip Rivers every day? He's a nice guy. Okay, I'm out. I don't know what
2: this bad rep everyone thinks. I'm out. He's a competitive
0: guy. He's a leader. Then you got every week wonder if there's – if you know the, his wife's going to labor again, you know there's going to be he's, another kid. We, we
2: stop with the—he's got too many kids. He
0: does. There's going to be another kid this year. You know
2: there is. Plus, it, it's it's a means to an end. If he's just okay, then what are they? They're going to win five or six games. You're not. You're not wasting. You're on. not
0: wasting a ton of money on some long-term bridge. I, I know this is not the the point of what you're trying to propose. There is. I do not envision a scenario on planet Earth. That Philip Rivers beats out Jarrett Stidham for the job at training camp. I think he's better than him. And I think, no I think his, up, his upside could be 10 or 11 wins with the team. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. No. no. Stidham and Hooker, I think, I've, I've talked about that. I think that's a legitimate way to go into the season. Or Garoppolo and Hooker. Or Garoppolo, whoever. And by the way, look.
2: Can, they get, Gar- weekend, can they
0: get Garoppolo at a decent price? Sounds like, well, not now. The state's ruined it for everybody. It's, it's, it's over for everyone. Geno Smith got 30, if, yes. 35 mil a year today because Derek Carr got about if that. Carr with, gets thirty. Carr gets 30 a year, Geno uh, Smith gets 35 a year. I mean, Garoppolo, what, 60? 65?
2: Right, like 27 a year. Basically what he was I'm making, saying
0: 65 a year. No.
2: He'll slot in behind him, but that's still way too much No, money. I think he
0: makes more. I don't think there's any way Garoppolo gets less than Carr. Really? No. What? No. Oh, my God. Because I thought the projection, going, the projection going into this weekend was like 27. Oh, boy. And so I would say it's, it's got to be 35, 31, 32. It's got to be more than color. Any other bridges you like that could be a little cheaper? Well, Mac Jones?
2: That's not really a would, bridge, would though. Would that be a bridge? Right. You're going to invest. In well, a guy I think if they trade for going Mac in, going into his third year, and then still draft Hendon Hooker.
0: I think if they trade for Mac Jones, they still draft somebody.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: Maybe not in the first round, but yeah. I think what's what's
2: Belichick's grand plan? If he's getting rid of Mac Jones, I just think they don't like him.
0: But it does. I mean, the reports that uh, came out this week, and we've been talking about Mac for a while, yeah. but this week in the reports where the Raiders have reached out, and the Patriots said no. Okay. So that's what was kind of surfacing around, but. I mean, it, I think that there's, there's smoke there. I think there's interest. They're kicking the tires, as they should on everyone.
2: Josh Jacobs also informed that he's going to be tagged. And as Adam mentioned earlier, uh, Jacobs said a while back, uh, you know, if that happens, he, the hero becomes the villain. Especially if he decides to hold out or really drag this in. Because they don't have to make a decision. Well, they have until, what, July 17th or June 17th to get a long-term done? Uh, July. So that's a long time. That's a yeah. lot of chatter.
0: Plenty of time. what's going
2: to happen, especially if he balks at it pretty early, and he's like, "I'm not unless we have a long-term deal, I'm not coming."
0: Yeah, they got plenty of time to decide and, and work it out. But again, this is going to be a really tough one to work out because I think both sides are absolutely right to dig in their ground and say, the, for the Raiders' perspective, we don't pay running backs guaranteed money long-term, and from Josh Jacobs' perspective, I'm only taking a long-term guaranteed deal.
2: You like the hero or villain angle? Uh, you hero wrote about villain, it. Yeah. You wrote about it with John Jones. I want to get into Jones' victory this weekend at UFC.
1: Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All-Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All-Access on Twitter. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag, only on ESPN Las Vegas. John Jones, hero or villain? Well,
0: if you're based on the fans, hero. There's no question. I mean, it was everywhere he went this week, was nuts. And and I'll also say, I, I thought somewhat shameful um, of the fans at the presser when there was one question asked that wasn't even negative. It was more, just you know, putting in a perspective of all the issues he's had outside the cage. Right. And he didn't have to answer because the fans so so booed the person that asked it. Yeah. Like,
2: what are you doing? And yeah, they're a bunch of babies. Of course. They've been trained. Of course. They've been trained. I mean, if you hear the media sucks enough, then you're going to turn on him. Yeah, of course. I, I said on Friday when I saw your story or headline, I was like, absolute hero. And then after the fight on Saturday, I was like, eh, I'm not so sure. What changed in the fight? Well, let's talk about the fight first of all. A very one-sided. But what fight? Cyril Ghosn did not come in uh, with a good game plan at all. I, I, you know, listen, I think you have to be afraid of the takedown, but you can't be so afraid that you don't play to your strength. He should have blitzed him and closed and just tried to throw punches and try to turn it into some sort of a striking match, but to lay back and then let Jones basically low kick you a bunch of times and do that front, I hate that front, you know, front kick to the knee or the upper thigh, I, you I know, actually lower, low, you lower a little bit and then it's an easy takedown and then gone on the ground. It's like, dude, you can't sit up against a guy like that. I know it's scary to flatten out, but you can't freaking sit up so he could just grab your, grab your chin in an advantageous position. And John Jones at 255 pounds is going to break your neck.
0: Yeah, for sure, and I, I, I actually thought Gon was more scared of those kicks than he was anything else because he was so reacting to them and so trying to jump back out of them that he actually left himself open for the takedown. Uh, I, I will say one of the things you hear about Jones all the time is that he is just so unbelievable uh, at the cerebral side of figuring things out, mm-hmm. uh, watching, scouting. Uh, people that have watched film with him just say it's, it's crazy. The recall that he has and the understanding of what people do. Uh, but it, there was a video that surfaced of a lesson that Henry Cejudo was giving John Jones a couple of weeks ago in training camp. And he said, if you ever have this, then this is what you do, and you do this. And it was a real quick lesson. That was it. Henry Cejudo said, that's all I said. Literally the exact sequence that happened in the fight. He did exactly what Henry Cejudo said he could try to do, and he made it work to perfection. That's crazy.
2: So Jones, after three years. You know by weight cut 43 pounds heavier comes back wins a heavyweight title and then he's in the ring and here's what you do when you're an active fighter you're going to sell the next fight so he gets the mic and
1: oh yeah baby y'all want to see me beat up stipe one thing i know about the ufc is we give the fans what they want to see stipe miocic i hope you're training my guy you're the greatest heavyweight of all time And that's what I want. I want you real bad. Well,
3: John, it's been an honor to watch you become the youngest ever UFC champion. It's been an honor to watch you become the heavyweight champion. And I can't wait to see you again. Welcome back and congratulations on achieving your goal.
1: Last thing
0: (laughs) the greatest of all time, ladies and gentlemen, John Jones. So is he mocking the fans by saying they're sheep? No. He was trying for something that I think failed miserably, and I pointed out right away. Uh, he, he's he was tr- he's trying for a goat sound. Oh, but it's a sheep sound. Yeah, goats don't make good sounds. But it, you just have to do like
2: a blood curdling scream, and you'd be like, oh, that's a goat. Or you'd have to eat. You'd have to go up to Rogan and like eat a shirt. But uh, the, that's but, what goats uh, did to me, and that's why I weird. freaking hated going to the petting zoo.
0: So I'm like, don't eat tri- my shirt. You're I'm triggered. Yeah. So now I'm that six. Go- I was like, this is my favorite. Now tournament. that everything's goat talk all the time, or you yeah. just, just in a con- so annoying. <laughs> perpetually awful mood? Because, well, you are okay. anyway, but, yeah.
2: I'll give you villain. Why is villain. One thing I know about the UFC is they always deliver the biggest fights.
1: You just sat out three years.
0: Well, also the fight because
2: everybody. Because they wouldn't
1: make the fight with you and Kanu! Right, what, what do you mean?
2: What do you mean he wants. gives you that UFC gives the fights? Of- what? And the fight we want is in Kanu. Of course. I want to see him against Stipe, too. But, like, to get right up there, and, I mean, that's that's company man. If you weren't – the reason I, I said he was a hero is that he, he stayed out until he got some of the money that he thought he deserved. He didn't get all of it. Listen, yeah. I'm glad he's back, but – and I still think he's not a hero or a villain. He's okay. – he's, 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 He's both at different times. He's not, he's not one or the other.
0: We almost, got, we almost got John Villain, which I actually would have loved if it would have happened. So, for those who were watching the fight, John stopped at the, at the, as he entered the cage. There was an issue with the tape, and the commission told him he has to take all the tape off his foot. He said no. He said he'll change the tape, but he's not taking it all off. After the fight, he said, he told the commission, I'm out. Yeah. I'm not fighting. And they, they changed it. But he said... If they would have made him take every piece of tape off his foot, he was walking back to the locker room. That'd have been cool. Would have been the greatest moment in UFC yeah, history. Yeah, yeah. I would have loved it. We're both very pro-fighter. You yeah.
2: fight for your rights. Yes. But then he relinquished them by cool. then calling out Stipe, the guy they need him to call out, instead of Ngannou. And then people asked about Ngannou to Dana White, and he was pretty clear. Yeah. I mean, you believe him? So is John. Him?
0: So is John. He said, and Ingunu said, today it's not going to happen. He's like, I want it to happen, but it's not going to happen in the UFC, so it's not going to happen. Uh, John had some words for Nganu, called them a uh, part of you know, something that I'm, I can't say. Yeah. Uh, and, like, it's not going to happen. But that, that is a fight everybody wants. Now, John did tell Stipe in the post-fight when, when we were talking to him uh, that he suggests Stipe quits being a firefighter. He's like, part-time training ain't going wor- to work against me, man. Like, you're not going to be able to have a day job and beat me. Oh, wow. 364 1100. We got a pair of tickets to the semifinals for the Mountain West Conference
2: Tournament. That's Friday night, Friday night, Friday night. You can get your tickets at UNLVtickets.com for the semis in the Mountain West Championships. We're here at the Thomas and Mack wrapping things up. And you want to buy tickets tomorrow because the Lady Rebels are playing in the first game of the semifinals. That's a five o'clock start today. Lindy LaRock's team won by 37, 84 to 47 against the Wolfpack. So, grab those tickets. Ari's got a pair right now. 364-1100, 364-1100. Man, today was a crazy day in the NFL. Can't wait to see
0: what happens tomorrow. Where are you tomorrow? you covering basketball somewhere? Uh, hopefully Gonzaga-St. Mary's, but I'll be at the West Coast final. Actually, I'd like to see St. Mary's, San Francisco. That'd be great.
3: I would love to see an upset tonight in that one. All right, Ari, thank you. Angel, thank you. We'll see you.